I want, if I may, to turn you, well, uh, uh, I say if I may, I'm going to turn you to Acts chapter 1, the Acts of the Apostles chapter 1, and uh, these wonderful words in verses 7 and 8, which I'm sure you know well, and I'm sure we've uh, looked at in this um, uh, time uh, before now, but uh, let's hear them again. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And uh, it's important, isn't it, that we understand what we are doing when we pray for revival. I, I, I don't know about you in the States, but we are here over in Great Britain. We have had in recent days a number of people who've tried to argue that actually we shouldn't pray for revival, um, that we've got it all wrong, that these incidents that uh, Jonathan Edwards spoke about and other uh, great uh, men and women of God have spoken about in the past were actually not really revival in what we understand it to be. Uh, and they tend to pour cold water upon those of us who uh, think that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us and to encourage us uh, to live and to work for God. And so I want to call this, uh, just these few minutes talk now, the path of power. Because I don't know about you, but I think certainly here in the West, we live in powerless days. I've had the privilege of seeing uh, things happen in India and in the Philippines, which I would consider to be incredible compared with the kinds of things that we see over here. And I wish that some of the things I'd seen in India and in the Philippines, I saw in Great Britain. And I guess probably from what many of you have said, you would say the same about um, the USA. We live in powerless days, and yet we need to have a desire for power to present the gospel, to preach this glorious good news of salvation to this ungodly, wicked world. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that there are many people who want they want power in their lives. They want power to live this life and this life masters them. But what we need, my friends, is power to lift us above this earthly life, to see the glory of the life to come and the wonder of God's grace in saving men and women and boys and girls and bringing them out of darkness into his marvelous life light. Now here are the words of our Lord in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now the disciples, as you know from the context of the passage, had really totally and completely misunderstood the Lord. Um, he had spoken to them in verses 4 and 5, talked about John baptizing with water and the Holy Spirit baptizing them. But then they come to him and they say, Lord, verse, verse six, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for an earthly power. But here the Lord Jesus speaks of a greater power, a more glorious power, a far reaching power that saves, that redeems, that is life giving, eternal power and glory, a supernatural power, a Holy Spirit inspired power. 
The devil, you see, is not too worried about people who make a profession of conversion. Does that shock you? Well, I don't think he is, my friends. There are so many people, aren't they, who make a profession of conversion, but actually it makes very little difference to our lives. There is a teaching that goes about saying that, of course, you can have the Lord uh, as your saviour, but then later you can surrender your life to, to his lordship. But you can wait for that. You can have him as saviour now, but you worry about his lordship later. My friends, that is not biblical teaching. That's not scriptural teaching. But if you have that kind of attitude, the devil really is not that worried about that kind of profession of conversion. But the devil gets very worried by a man or a woman who is taken up by the Holy Spirit, where the power of God comes into their lives. Now, in true revival, this happens. It is said that in the 1859 revival in Wales, particularly in South Wales, uh, amongst the miners, uh, that um, the pit ponies uh, who were used as the as the um, power to, to 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 take the coal trucks around in the pits, in the coal mining pits, um, when the miners were converted, the pit ponies didn't understand what they were being told to do because they were so used to the swear words and the bad language of the of the miners. But when God came and saved them from their sin and converted them, they lost all this evil language and the pit ponies could no longer understand what they were supposed to do. Now, that's a testimony to the power of God changing lives. Or the Cambuslang revival in 1742, an amazing event, uh, when from about February to November in 1742, God seemed to be working day after day after day, uh, firstly in, in Cambuslang itself, but spreading from there to other parts of that area of Scotland. Amazing things. I can't go into them now. Now, there was a sense in which Pentecost was unique. And yet I do believe that there are aspects that were and are repeatable. And my desire and my longing all my all my Christian life and all my ministerial life is to know more of the power of God and the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit at work. Let me just say very briefly this this, this evening, three uh, things. Firstly, power for character. What does our Lord say here? You shall be witnesses. Now, I think that's very important, the way that's translated in the English. Not you shall witness, but you shall be witnesses. If I'm involved in a car accident, for example, or if, if I'm walking down the road and I see a car accident, I can give witness to the police. I can testify as to what happened, what I saw happened. But in a sense, I am a witness then. But if I'm actually the driver of one of the cars, if I'm actually intimately involved, then I can be a witness in quite a distinctly different way. Now, people can be witnesses to the work of God's Holy Spirit in revival and even in conversion. But are you not just witnessing it? Are you taking part in it? Have you experienced this work of God? Are you being a witness because you are actually actively involved in it? 
Here is a promise of endowment with power, especially for particular occasions and needs. It is very much the fruit of the Spirit, not so much the gifts, but the fruit of the work of the Spirit. See how that's illustrated in Peter's life. He denied his Lord with an oath. But now, on the day of Pentecost, or in a, a few days' time, on the day of Pentecost, see the boldness of Peter and the apostles. That comes out, of course, particularly in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Acts 4.31, when they come to pray, they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This was a fresh endowment of power. They'd already received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This wasn't just a second blessing. This was God again coming upon them and doing them good. In Acts chapter 4 and 19 to 20, Peter and John answered the, uh, their critics, the scribes and the Pharisees, and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. They answer their critics. They speak of what they had seen and heard. And after three years in the presence of the Lord, they now speak with boldness. It came alive. It was real. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Saul, after his conversion, what do we read? Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He spoke with power. And in Jerusalem, a short while later, Saul, who's only just been converted a few days, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. They attempted to kill him. Now, I find this quite incredible and quite wonderful. Here were these disciples, Peter, uh, who had denied him, John and the other apostles who had forsaken him and fled. And now they're standing up before the authorities and saying, we ought to obey God rather than men. They didn't say that on the night of the crucifixion. What has happened to these men? They were full of the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, we read, they rejoiced with joy. Peter talks about this in his epistle, 1 Peter 1. Believers, he's describing the believers who've been driven out by persecution. And yet, 1 Peter 1 verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a sense of the endowment of power that they have received and the character of this power. It produces obedience and spontaneity and joy and love. So much so that Paul could write to the Romans in Romans 1, uh, verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for your all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And if we were going to translate that a little bit more colloquially, we might say this. 
The whole world is buzzing with news about what has happened to you slaves in Caesar's household. You are changed men. You are changed women. Power for character. Secondly, power for communication. How do, commun how do you communicate to men and women today? Acts 2, 37 and 41. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here were people who'd been hostile. They'd crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, with great power, they gave witness to the resurrection from the dead. In Acts 13, on the first missionary journey, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The Jews, the proselytes. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Amazing. My friends, when do we last see anything like that? I live in a small village now, but there are godless people all around me. When last did I see anything like this, that the whole village, the whole city came together to hear the word of God? Now, what do we do today? Well, people talk about evangelism and it's right. And we learn about evangelism and we read books about it and we study techniques and methods. But the danger is we re rely upon them and not upon God. But in the days of the early church, they went out and they evangelized. They didn't, I'm not saying they didn't need training and counsel, but they did it. They had an endowment of power by the power of God's grace, power for character, power can, for conviction, for, com, can, uh, for, uh, for uh, communication. Thirdly, power for conviction. Our Lord had said to the disciples in John chapter 16, verse eight, that the Holy Spirit would come. And when he came, he would convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Now, that's a very important verse. It is because the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross that that is true. If he had not died, if he had not paid the penalty for our sin, then our Lord would have had to say the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of judgment. Because there's no possibility of righteousness for us. But because the Lord Jesus Christ died. He was able to say, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the word of, world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. In Acts 2, 37, men and women were stricken in an agony of conviction. And as the apostles preached in those early days in the Acts of the Apostles in the subsequent chapters, we read that power in judgment after the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 5, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And what Luke is telling us there is that there were some who feared to join. And yet there were others who couldn't keep away because God was at work in their lives. In Acts 11 at Antioch, much people were added. 
And then in Acts 24, as uh, Paul preaches to Felix, we read that Felix trembled. My friends, when last did we hear of anyone in government trembling before the word of God? I say, surely we've lost something of the sense of the presence of God among us. And that's the point of our text. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So much so that later in the Acts we read, these Christians turned the world upside down. Oh, my friends, what an encouragement to pray for God to come in revival. Revival may yet come. But God tests our patience. So keep on asking for God to come and revive us all. In Acts chapter one and verse four, the Lord Jesus Christ told them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. And they waited. And well, I know they organized a choice of Matthias and other things, but they waited. And I wonder whether some of them said in that upper room as they met and as they discussed and as they prayed, have we got this right? Is this what we are to do? The Lord has gone to glory. He's left us. Here we are sitting, waiting. Is this just a tragic hoax? Have we been misled these all these years? We have been with the Lord Jesus. But they waited. And 10 days later, God, God broke in. And the day of Pentecost came. Acts 2, there suddenly came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire appeared upon them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, the day of Pentecost had come and God comes down and men and women are converted. 3,000, 5,000, many were at it. And in Acts chapter 6, we read those remarkable words in verse seven, that many, great many, the word of God spread and a great many of the priests, the Jewish priests were obedient to the faith. Those who had despised the Lord when he walked this earth. But the power of the gospel was so effective that they came to faith in Christ. My friends, do not give up. Keep on praying. Keep on preaching. Keep on praying that God will come again and revive us in these days.